All right, so on the evening before his crucifixion, the Lord, if you remember, met with his disciples in an upper room somewhere in Jerusalem, and he began to just pour out his heart toward them. Now, as he was speaking to them, at some point, he let them know that he was going away, he was leaving, and they couldn't follow him, at least not yet. And so this absolutely broke their hearts. The news of Jesus' departure really um, just totally discouraged his friends, and the Lord could see it all over their faces. And so what he did is he began what's known as the Upper Room Discourse, chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17. He began the Upper Room Discourse by making at least three promises in order to encourage them. All right, so what were these promises? Well, we already saw in previous messages that the first promise was the promise of heaven, and the second promise was the promise of his return. And so we saw in a previous message that Jesus promised heaven. He said to these 11 men there uh, in the upper room, he said, in my Father's house, there's heaven. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. All right, so he promised heaven. And then second of all, he promised his return. He went on to say in verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. How many of you guys really believe that Jesus is gonna come back someday? I believe with all my heart. <clears throat> Listen, all the insanity, all the nonsense, all the craziness, all the evil and depravity that we see going on in the world will not continue indefinitely. There is a holy God in heaven and one day he's gonna come back and take back what is his. Absolutely, it's the promise of his word. And so he promised heaven, and he promised he would return. He said, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. Jesus promised heaven. Jesus promised he would return. And today we're going to look at his third promise, which is the promise of the helper. The helper. And we see that in verses 16 and following. And so, of course, when the Lord talked about the helper, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, whom... After he, Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, he would ask the Father to send this helper, another helper, to come and help the disciples. I'm really excited about this text. So right now, if you're looking at John chapter 14, verse 15, can you just say amen so I know you're there? All right, so here we go. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Some of your translations say comforter to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Question, how can someone know if they love Jesus? The answer is right there in verse 15. Look at it again. The Lord said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And that leads you to your first point if you wanna take notes this morning, and that is that our love for Christ is displayed 
through our obedience to him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is super, super clear, and it's very easy to understand. Anybody can understand this. Even a child can understand this. And that is that if we keep Christ's commands, it shows that we love him. And if we don't keep Christ's commands, it shows we don't love him. We can say it all day long. I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. But if we're not keeping his commands, don't fool yourself, you don't love Jesus. It's just as simple as that. And John affirmed this truth um, in his first epistle at the end of your Bibles. He said, quote, loving God means keeping his commandments. And by the way, his commandments are not burdensome. And so here's what I know. Those of you who are here this morning in this room, those of you who are watching right now online, if you really, really love Jesus, you understand that obeying him is not a burden, it's a blessing. It is not a chore, it's an honor, and it's a privilege to serve the Lord. I didn't say it's always easy. Sometimes it's hard to obey Jesus, but even though it's not easy all the time, it is always a blessing. In other words, we gotta check our attitude, ladies and gentlemen, because it's not a have to, it's a get to. You got that? Are you understanding that this morning? It's not a have to, it's a get to. In other words, it shouldn't be, oh man, I gotta go to church. Oh man, I gotta serve in the children's ministry. Listen, if that's your attitude, please do not take that attitude and infect our kids with that attitude. Please don't do that. Oh, I gotta give. They want my money again. Oh, I gotta read my Bible. I gotta pray. I gotta share my faith. No! 10,000 times, no, 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 no. We are new covenant believers and the Holy Spirit lives inside of us and God has done everything he could ever do for us. Therefore, with an attitude of gratitude, our attitude is not have to, it's a get to. I get to go to church, I get to give, I get to serve, I get to read my Bible, I get to pray, I get to share my faith. That's the attitude we should have, ladies and gentlemen. That's the attitude. So, if I'm talking to you this morning, it's not me, it's the Lord, check your attitude, change it. Now, the Lord knew that in order to keep his commands, the disciples would need some help. And by the way, not just his disciples 2,000 years ago, but his modern day disciples today, you and me. Okay, that leads you to your next point. Jesus knew his followers would need supernatural help to keep his commandments, therefore he promised to send the helper. What more could he do? Right, the first thing he did, you guys who are born again, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you were going your own way, doing your own thing, living for yourself, God sent what the Baptist preachers used to call in the churches I used to attend, the hound of heaven. And the Holy Spirit came after you. How many are glad that the Holy Spirit came after you? Yeah. And all of a sudden you heard the gospel, right? And you turned to Jesus Christ, and what did he do? As you placed your faith in him, he regenerated you by his Holy Spirit. He quickened you, he gave you new life. He saved you by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from meritorious works. And you were born again. 
And then after you got saved, if that's not enough, what did the Holy Spirit begin to do in your life? He began to empower you to obey the Lord. Christian, I'm talking to you this morning. Trying to keep the Lord's commandments in our own strength is like trying to cut down a big tree with a little pocket knife. I mean, can you imagine how hard that would be? How long do you think it would take to cut down that big tree, trunk, branches, and all, in little pieces so the garbage men will take it? <laughs> with that pocket knife. Listen, I don't care how fancy it looks, I don't care how many gadgets it has, there is no way. After about 80 hours, you're gonna say, I can't do this. But, bring in a Neotech 20 inch power chainsaw. <laughs> that baby's going down really quick, right? And so the choice is ours. When it comes to obeying Jesus Christ, are we gonna use a little pocket knife or a powerful chainsaw? In other words, are we gonna try to do this thing called the Christian life in our own little strength or are we gonna tap into the power of God? Here's what I know, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The forgotten member of the Trinity. The ones that, that the people ignore today in a lot of Christian churches. How many of you guys know the Holy Spirit is alive and well, and when the Christ went up, the Spirit came down? All right, and so we need his power to obey Christ. Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount? <laughs> Have you read it lately? I just picked through a couple days ago just some of the Lord's commandments, Jesus' commandments to New Testament Christians like you and me. He said, don't insult your brother. He said, don't look at a woman with lust. He said, turn the other cheek. He said, love your enemies. He said, pray for those who persecute you. And probably the hardest one of all, he said, don't worry. All right, and so Jesus' commands aren't limited, I understand, to one sermon. If you're new to the Bible, you don't know what I'm talking about, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the greatest message ever preached in the history of mankind. But Jesus' commandments are not just limited to one sermon. We have a whole New Testament filled with divine commandments that as Christians, we need to be living out. My point is this, just like trying to take down a massive tree with a little pocket knife leads to failure, so trying to obey Christ's commands in our own little strength will lead to failure. I'm telling you, you will be disappointed, you will be defeated, you'll be discouraged, and you'll be tempted to quit. Okay, so what's the remedy? How do we succeed? How do we do this thing called the victorious Christian life? Here's how. You pick up that chainsaw and you go for it. So what does that mean in spiritual terms? It means, if you're listening right now, say amen that every single day when you have your devotions, and by the way, if you're not having your devotions every single day, today is the first day of the rest of your life, ask God to forgive you and start meeting with the Lord one-on-one -on -one every single day until either the rapture comes or you take your last breath. Honor the Lord, spend time with him. People say, Jesus is first, time, first place in my life, and they don't spend any time with the Lord. Give me a break. Why are you fooling yourself? If he's really first place in your life, you're gonna have a special time in a special place with the special Lord that you love. And you're gonna be pouring over his scriptures and you're gonna be praying and worshiping him. That's just what we do, right? And so, again, 
What, is, what does that mean in spiritual terms? What that means is that every single day when we have our devotions, we get down on our knees, if not physically in our hearts, we get down on our knees before the Lord and we surrender ourselves to the Lord's authority for that day. Lord, you're the boss, I'm not. You're the supervisor of my life, I'm not. You call the shots, I don't call the shots. And then, not only do you surrender, but then you ask, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I need help, so please empower me by your Holy Spirit today. Do that every single day for the rest of your life. I dare you, and you find out what the Lord does in your life. He will absolutely turn your life upside down, or I should say, right side up. Why? Because he'll begin to help you, not just read the New Testament, but live it out in the power of the Holy Spirit. He's gonna help you love your spouse. He's gonna help you raise your kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. He's gonna help you shine your light at work, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And just like that powerful chainsaw is taking that thing down, lickety split, you're going to allow the Spirit in and through you to get the job done. Is this making sense to you guys? This is why he's called the helper. Did you see it? Look again in verse 16. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another, go ahead and shout it out, helper to be with you forever. What more could the Lord do? Even the spirit of truth, whom the world can't receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. All right, so what does the word helper mean in the Greek? Well, uh, the transliteration of that Greek word is paraclete, and it simply means one called alongside. John later in one of his epistles uh, uses the same word as advocate. All right, so one called alongside. The idea there is one called alongside to help, to strengthen, to teach, to encourage, what more could he do? And so we see that this actually happened historically. Thursday night, the Lord's sharing with the 11 men, right, in the upper room, and then what happens? What happens is that he is crucified the next morning, he's buried, third day he rises again, right? And from his resurrection until his ascension, there's 40 days where he appears off and on uh, as a risen Christ to his disciples, and then what does he do? Then there's the ascension. He goes back to the Father, the seat at the right hand of the Father. Ten days after that, all of a sudden, it's the day of Pentecost, Penta, 50, 50 days after the resurrection. And ladies and gentlemen, listen, the sun went up and the Spirit came down, historically. And what did he do? He helped, he strengthened, he taught, he encouraged the disciples to do what? To keep Christ's commands and to carry out his mission to make disciples of all the nations. If you wanna know if he was effective or not, read the book of Acts. Or listen to my 49 sermons that I did on Acts during COVID. It's all there on the website for free. But listen, this actually happened historically. But how many of you guys know that the Lord wants it to continue to happen today as well? I didn't get one amen for that one. Are you guys with me this morning? If you're tuned in, say amen. amen. All right, so how many of you guys believe that God wants to empower Christians by the Holy Spirit today? <laughs> yeah. 
He wants to empower us to keep Christ's commands. And he wants to empower us to carry out his mission today, to make disciples. And why were the first century disciples so effective? Because the Holy Spirit was within them. Did you catch that at the end of verse 17? For he dwells with you and will be in you. That leads you to your next point. One of the beautiful benefits of the new covenant is that the Holy Spirit lives inside of true believers. Now, we don't really understand the impact that this had on first century Jewish disciples. Why? Because they had been under the old covenant, the old dispensation of law. And under the old dispensation of law, guess what? The Spirit came upon certain individuals to accomplish something, and then he usually departed. We see this in the life of Gideon. We see this in the life of Samson. We see this in the life of Saul, right? So the Holy Spirit would come and empower these guys or these women in the Old Testament to do a certain thing, and then he would usually leave. That's the old dispensation of law. But now it's a new thing. It's a fresh thing. During the new dispensation of grace, the promise of the Spirit is that he lives in us permanently. Wow. I should have put it on the screen, but I... I didn't, and so listen to this. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. Colossians 1, 26 and 27. What does that teach? That teaches that this whole idea of the divine presence indwelling born-again Christians, it was a mystery that was hidden for generation after generation, it was a mystery that was hidden for ages all through the Old Testament, all through the Old Dispensation, right? But now, in the New Dispensation of Grace, it has been revealed to the saints. All right, so what's the mystery? Here's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's really, really, really good news. It's a beautiful benefit of the New Covenant. Therefore, if you have turned to Christ in genuine repentance and faith, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life, guess what? On the authority of God's word, on the authority of Romans chapter eight, verse nine, the Holy Spirit of God lives in you. Think about that. The one who made the human body, the one who made the earth, the one who didn't just make the human body and the earth, but made the entire solar system. And not just that, but the entire Milky Way galaxy. And not just that, but also, not M, millions, B, billions, billions of galaxies in an ever-expanding universe. He created it, ex nihilo, out of nothing. He's the unmoved mover. He's the first cause that has no cause. He's the eternal, infinite God. And ladies and gentlemen, if you think whatever, okay, I challenge you. Do you think matter came from mind or mind came from matter? I'll wait for just a minute for that to sink in. <laughs> so you really think mind Think about the intricacies of the human mind. You really think that just came from matter? Or did matter come from mind? Matter absolutely came from mind. He is the unmoved mover, he is the first cause. He is the uncaused cause. He is the infinite, eternal God. Deal with it. 
He's alive and well. He's reigning. Have you given your life to him? Have you surrendered to him? And so look, listen, if you've turned to Christ in repentance and faith, receiving him as the savior and Lord of your life, on the authority of Romans 8, 9, God lives inside of you. And he lives inside of me also. And he has sealed us for the day of redemption. That means permanently. And so now that the spirit lives in us, what should we do? What should we do? Paul told us, right, in his first letter to the church at Corinth. He says, do you not know that your body is a, can you guys shout out that top temple? See, this is new covenant stuff. This is the stuff that was hidden for ages, but now has been revealed to the saints in the age of grace. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Hey, stop living for yourself, Christian. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. What price is that? The blood of Jesus? <laughs> what more could he do? You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, right? And so now that the Spirit of God lives inside of us as born-again Christians, what should our response be? Our response should be an attitude of gratitude. Our response should be, Lord, I'm gonna live for you and I'm gonna glorify you in this body. In every way, every day, in my thoughts, my, my words, my actions, I am gonna glorify you. I'm determined to do this, and I know I can't do it on my own, so I need the help of the helper. And ladies and gentlemen, the two best ways in this age of grace, church age, whatever you wanna call it, the two best ways to glorify God as New Testament Christians, number one, obey Christ's commands. Number two, carry out his mission to make disciples. Listen, outside of getting saved, what is Christianity all about? Why are you not on the golf course right now? Why are you not you know, at the beach? Why are you not um, getting ready for the football game or whatever? Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we belong to Christ and we wanna obey his commandments and we want to carry out his mission to make disciples. That's why you're here. Now look at verse 19. It says in verse 19... Jesus said to the 11 in the upper room, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. Right? Tomorrow morning, I will be crucified. They're gonna bury me in a rich man's grave, Joseph of Arimathea. The world will see me no more. That's, but now there's good news. Look at this. But you will see me because I live. Good news, you also will live. And so the Lord told them, you're gonna see me, guys. And they did. After his resurrection, they saw him, the risen Christ, alive from the dead. And here's what you gotta know, that when they saw him alive after he had been dead, they knew, they had that sure hope in their hearts that, hey, because he lives, I'm gonna live. Because he is risen from the dead, I'm gonna rise from the dead as well. What more can he do? Look at verse 20. He says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who, what? 
loves me. Whenever Jesus says something once, we should listen. When he says it twice, we should really, really, really listen. He's repeating verse one. If you love me, you're gonna keep my commandments. And, rest of verse 21, he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. All right, so the Lord said in verse 20, in that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. All right, in that day, what day was Jesus speaking of? I believe it was the day of Pentecost. Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit came in a fresh and new way. When he came and he indwelt and he empowered the disciples, and on that special day, they knew, man, the Son is in the Father, we're in the Son, and the Son is in us by the Holy Spirit. They knew on that day. The question is, do you know? Do you know that you know that you know that the Son is in the Father and that you are in the Son and the Son is in you by the Holy Spirit? Those of you who are true believers know you know, you know that even though the Spirit of God is invisible, that doesn't mean he's undetectable. Think about that for a moment. Even though the Holy Spirit is invisible, you can't see him, that doesn't mean he's undetectable. No, 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 we've heard this before, right? The Holy Spirit, in that way, is a lot like the wind, okay? And so, think about this. No one can see the wind but we sure enough can see the effects of the wind, right? Likewise, nobody can see the Holy Spirit, but we know he's there, why? Because of the way he affects us, because of the way that he loves us, because of the way that he's changed our lives. Pastor Matt Messiano talked to you guys after Thanksgiving, and he gave kind of part two to his testimony. And, and man, when I heard about part two, I was like, this guy, this is a 180. Because I knew the old Matt. I knew the Matt um, who came into our church, I don't know how many years ago, and sat down and said that he's gonna uh, rededicate his life to the Lord because his life was an absolute mess. His testimony, part one, is a couple years ago, um, um, somewhere around New Year's, if you wanna look it up later. But man, if you knew the old Matt, and now you look at the new Matt, and you see that there's been a 180, here's what you know. The Holy Spirit's real because he's changed that guy's life. And guess what, he's changed my life too. And for many of you, you have the same testimony. He's changed your life as well. And so even though you can't see the Holy Spirit, man, you know he's there because of the way he affects us, because of the way he loves us. David Crowder, I love this song, he is jealous of me. Right, loves like a hurricane. I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and glory. How many of you guys praise the Lord for that? How many of you guys want to be the tree, right? And so thank God that the Holy Spirit manifests the love of the Father and the Son in and through our lives. Now look at verse 22. It says, Judas, and then John really quick puts, not Iscariot, <laughs> right, because Judas Iscariot had already left. But Judas said to him, this is by the way, Thaddeus, Matthew 10, three, gives us his nickname, Thaddeus. All right, so Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word 
hey, if Jesus says something one time, we should listen. If he says it again, we should really listen. If he says it a third time, my goodness. If you love me, it'll be showed by keeping my word, by obeying my commands. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I love that. He will make our home with him. New covenant stuff. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And so Judas was still thinking that as the Messiah, what is Jesus gonna do? Can you guys see this? Upper room, 11 guys, Jesus, right? He's pouring out his hearts to them, trying to encourage them. He promises heaven. He promises he's gonna come back. He's promising the helper. And in the midst of all this, he's saying he's gonna manifest right, the himself to them, but not to the world. Judas is Thaddeus is scratching his head, right? I don't understand this. Lord, how in the world are you gonna manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? Why? Because Judas is still thinking in terms of a physical manifestation of the kingdom. He's thinking that as the Messiah, any minute now, any day now, Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom age. He is going to free Israel from Roman dominance and he is going to reign as the son of David. This was so hard for the disciples to shake this idea of the physical manifestation of the kingdom. The way I know that is because even after the resurrection of Christ, in Acts chapter one, they come up to him and they say, Lord, are you at this time gonna um, restore the kingdom to Israel? They're like, come on, let's get this ball rolling, let's do this thing. And listen to what Jesus said to them in response. They said, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, quote, it is not for you to know times or seasons. By the way, some of the guys who've written books about when Jesus is coming back, I wish they would have read that verse in Acts chapter one. And I wish some of you didn't buy their books and make them millionaires. Because no one knows the day or hour if somebody sets a date for the return of Jesus Christ, one word, you guys know the word, shout it out. Don't, don't go there. It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, guys, I'm gonna return when the Father's good and ready for me to return. And in the meantime, guess what? You don't have to be sad, you can be glad. Why? Well, here's your next point. As we wait for the physical manifestation of Christ's kingdom without, and by the way, how many of you guys know that that can happen in our lifetime? One of you know, knows that? How many of you guys know that the Lord could come back in our lifetime? Yeah. Every generation should live with the idea, the truth, that he could come in our lifetimes called the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And so, guess what? As we're waiting for the, pers the physical manifestation of Christ's kingdom without, good news, everybody, we get to experience the spiritual manifestation of his kingdom within. And so we're, as we're waiting for the Lord to return, guess what? No matter how hard it gets in our lives, we can be glad. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within us. Praise the Lord, right? The kingdom of God is within us. And so listen, this has been heavy on my heart 
that so many Christians, listen, I know you, you, that, that all of us have a bad day every once in a while. I know that people break our hearts. I hear it every weekend. You know, somebody that I love is making bad choices, and just like you throw the rock into the pond, the ripple effects, and now we're kind of feeling it, and we're going through this. Look, listen, that happens to everybody in a fallen world who have fallen relatives, <laughs> okay? That happens. But listen, don't let it dictate your overall demeanor. Your overall demeanor should be joyful. Why? The kingdom of God is within you, born-again Christian. So stop. I'm so sorry, I spit on your foot. <laughs> so stop walking around like you are, no. That's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be living the victorious Christian life, receiving power from the helper every single day. And we're supposed to be joyful, okay? And so guess what? The kingdom of God is in us. Jesus said it at the end of verse 23. There's gonna be a spiritual manifestation within before there's a physical manifestation without. How? By God making his home in us. Wow, God, the infinite God, makes his home in born-again Christians. Absolutely amazing. But here's the question. Have you provided comfortable living conditions for him? More importantly, have you provided clean living conditions for him? What kind of, whole, what kind of spirit is he? He's called the what spirit? Yeah. And the Lord said, both in the Old and New Testament, be holy for I am holy. And we saw it earlier, our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever wondered why, perhaps in the past, when you were getting ready uh, to go to a certain place or be with a certain person or watch a certain movie or TV show or go to a certain website and all of a sudden out of nowhere, it's like, ouch, oh, where'd that come from? There's like a pain in your heart. Now, I'm not talking about physical pain. If you feel physical pain in your chest, please call 911, okay? <laughs> not talking about that. I'm talking about a spiritual ache. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about what some people call a check in the spirit. So you're about to do something you shouldn't do, and it's like, oh, what was that? Well, it's either last night's dominoes or it's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening to him? You see, figuratively speaking, it's like the Holy Spirit is sitting in the living room of our hearts. And we're getting, ready to about, we're getting ready to do something we shouldn't do, right? And so what does he do? What does the Holy Spirit do? The same thing that the Holy Son of God did in the temple courts. He begins to, figuratively speaking, overturn the furniture inside of us, driving out desires, driving out thoughts that shouldn't be there. And we're like, ow! Right, what is he doing? He's warning us. This is the Father's house. Don't even think about it. <laughs> Why does he do that? He does it to get our attention. Why? Because he wants to 
bind us up and make us miserable the rest of our lives. No, because he loves you and he knows what's best for you and if he knows if you go down that path, it's gonna end bad for you and a lot of people in your little circle, remember the ripple. And so that's why he does it. I've told you a thousand times, your little toddler's going up to put their hand up on the hot stove and what are you gonna do? Well, if you're a responsible parent, you're gonna go, no. Well, that little bit of pain, which is already gone, is a lot better than that pain. So that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Be holy. Why? For I am holy. But guess what? You and I both can never be holy unless we have the help of the helper. We need him. And sometimes, just like God gives us checks out of nowhere in our spirit, sometimes he soaks our heart in the peace that passes all understanding out of nowhere. Checks, warning, peace. At a boy, at a girl. I um, experienced this when I was with a bunch of guys. We went to Graceway Village um, in Fort Pierce. Highly recommend that awesome ministry. And um, we packed dinners for impoverished people. And then what did we do? We went out in our cars. We went to some low-income housing. And all we were doing, carrying these, these um, dinners, is going and knocking on doors and giving people a free dinner and asking, is there anything we can do to pray for you? And as I'm walking down the street, out of nowhere, I'm not trying to work anything up. I'm just walking down the street and all of a sudden, boom, the Holy Spirit of God just like soaks my heart in the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I knew I'm doing right. I'm doing what he wants me to do. Why? Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. Thank God for many of you who send your, your clothes to Graceway Village. When I was um, sick, you visited me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm personally thankful that God gives me checks in my spirit every once in a while. He also gives me peace in my spirit every once in a while. Why? Because I, I know every time that happens that the one living in me loves me, he wants the best for me. And I really need to listen to him. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit does a lot more, right, than just inward ministry of checks and peace. There's an outward ministry of how he produces the fruit of the Spirit in and through our lives. That's next week when we get into John chapter 15. But let's finish up chapter 14. Stay with me all the way to the end, okay? So look at verse 25. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I wish I had more time, but I don't. But man, without verse 26, ladies and gentlemen, the New Testament does not happen. Look at the end of verse 26. He said that the helper, the Holy Spirit, is gonna bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. How many of you are thankful for the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Praise the Holy Spirit. And not just that, just above that, he will teach you all things. He'll teach you all things. How many of you are glad for the epistles? In the New Testament, it's the letters of Paul and Peter and John and James, right? And whoever wrote Hebrews, praise God. 
And so I, I am so grateful that, I, that, that we're, we're part of a network of churches called Calvary Chapel, right? And so I'm so grateful that we believe as a movement in the inspiration of the scriptures, that all scripture, all 66 books have been breathed out by God in the original manuscripts. We believe that with all our hearts here. Not every church does. My encouragement to you is in the future you find yourself in a church that doesn't believe that this book is God's word. One word, shout it out again. Man, I think that was twice in one sermon. But it's true. And so verse 26, 27, peace I leave with you. Tell you what, this upper room discourse is so rich. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So the Greek word for peace in verse 27 is reflective of the Hebrew word shalom. So if you go with us to Israel, we go every two years, love to have you. You'll hear that word more than any other word for 10 days. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Why? Because the Jews greet each other with shalom, and then when they're leaving, shalom, right? But what's its deeper meaning? The deeper meaning, if you're taking notes, means completeness. Okay, so this is Strong's Concordance, accessed through BLB, Blue Letter Bible. Great tools for your Bible study. Shalom means completeness in the Bible. Safety, soundness, welfare, health, prosperity, quiet, tranquility, and contentment. Shalom is that overall sense of well-being that God gives his children to sustain us, listen, in the good times and in the bad times. How many of you guys are thankful for the peace, the shalom of the Holy Spirit? Listen, in between, in between services, there was a lady here um, that talked to me, and she had just had surgery about a week earlier, and she showed me her scars on her face and she said, man, my testimony, Pastor Mike, is that I was going into that surgery or part during that surgery, God just gave me his peace out of nowhere. Thank the Lord. What more could he do? That's why we need to have the attitude of gratitude and live our lives for the glory of God as a big thank you for all that the Lord has done. It leads you to your next point, which is your last point. And that is since the Holy Spirit lives in our hearts, we can have shalom in the midst of any circumstance. How many of you, let me ask for your testimony, you can say amen or raise your hand, that'll be your testimony. How many of you have experienced peace in the midst of a storm in your life? Yeah, praise the Lord. The evidence of changed and changing lives. The peace of the Holy Spirit, why? Does God give you that peace? Because you know that you know that you know that God is in control, that he knows how it's all gonna end and that you're standing on the promise, Romans 8, 28, that everything is gonna turn out for your good and for his glory, Romans 8, 28. How many of you guys have been watching the World Cup, at least some of it? I wanna wait till you guys raise your hands. I wanna just see how many soccer fans are here. All right, about a third of you. I'm gonna work on that. In four years, it's gonna be 100% of you. Did you guys know the World Cup's coming to America in four years? Okay, so I want you to imagine something. Oh, by the way, before I get into my illustration, let me just say this. It's called soccer. <laughs> Not, even though the rest of the world, right, eight billion people, even though they all call it football, 
It's called soccer because that's what we as Americans call it and we always know Americans are right, right? <laughs> Wrong. You guys watch the England versus America match and the American fans in the stands, you know what they were doing? It's called soccer. It's like, no wonder the whole world hates us. <laughs> Arrogance, right? By the way, someone told me last night in the courtyard that the word soccer originated in England. So we think we're all, but anyway. All right, so here's the illustration. Imagine you love soccer <laughs> and you love America's team. And four years from now, when it comes to America, the American team actually makes it to the final. I know you got to dream really big here, right? <laughs> okay. And so, and they're playing Brazil. And you want America to win. And you want America to win so much, but you got to work the day of the World Cup. So what do you do? Instead of watching it live, you record it. And then you know, hey, Pastor Mike likes soccer. I want to invite him over. Okay? Lasagna, if you invite me. I'm kidding. All right, so... You, you invite me over and we're there the next day and we're watching the World Cup final, America versus Brazil, and you are on the edge of your seat, right? You are just like freaking out because it's back and forth, back and forth, and we're really good four years from now, and, it, and it's, we're in the competition, right? And you're freaking out over every free kick, every corner kick, every chance that Brazil gets ready to score. You are just like, ah, ready to have a heart attack. But then you look over at me about 60 minutes into the match and you've noticed that Man, I am calm as a cucumber. While you're stressed, I'm blessed. When Brazil's trying to score, I'm just like, yeah. And then it dawns on you. And you're like, did you already watch this? <laughs> and I can't lie, I'm like, yep, I did. And then you realize the reason I'm at peace is because I already know America wins the World Cup. So for the rest of the game, you are totally relaxed. And every once in a while, you just look at me, and because I'm at peace, and I'm blessed, you receive, you derive your peace from me. How many of you guys believe God is all-powerful? How many of you guys believe that he knows everything, right? How many of you guys believe that all things work together for good for those who love God, for those who are the called according to his purpose? You know why you're deriving your peace from me during the game? Because I know everything about that game. I know everything about that game already. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, God is omnipotent. That means he's all powerful. That means that he can get us through this life, even though the match is hard, he can get his kids through anything. He's omnipotent, he's also omniscient. He knows everything. He knows how it's gonna end. Guess what, Christian? He's got a new body waiting for you that's immortal. He's got it waiting. And guess what, Christian? He's got a new heavens and a new earth. Every once in a while, we need to read the book of Revelation and remind ourselves, in the end, Christ wins. Christ wins. I said it earlier, I don't know if it was this service or another, I get confused sometimes, but listen, this insanity, this craziness, this evil is not going to go unchecked forever and ever. Christ is coming back. So guess what? As we're going through this life, guess what? 
through prayer, we just need to look at our Father. And the one who knows everything about everything and knows how it's gonna end, we can derive our peace from the Prince of Peace and our blessing from the blesser. Listen, why are you so afraid? Why am I so afraid? He's got it. Let's finish it up. Verse 28. He said, you heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. Right, and by the way, when they heard that, they're moping. But he says, he challenges them, if you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father. Guys, can you be happy for me? (laughs) I'm going back. I'm gonna receive the glory I had before the world was created with my Father. Then he says, look at this, for the Father is greater than I. I'll come back to that. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. So there are some people who read, well, Jesus just said, for the Father is greater than I. Therefore, there's no way that Jesus can be God. (laughs) Wrong answer. Listen, by saying the Father is greater than me, Jesus was not saying greater in terms of essence. He was saying greater in terms of authority. He's not talking about essence. He's not talking about being. He's not talking about nature. As I say almost every weekend, there's one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, Jesus was and is God. So he's not talking about greater in essence. He's talking about greater in authority. Why? Because God the Son left his throne in heaven was born of the Virgin Mary, and he became a man, fully God, fully man. And then as a man, what did he do? He took on the form of a servant, Philippians chapter two, and he totally submitted to the will of the Father. Father, you're my authority. I'm gonna do what you tell me to do. You guys understand the difference there? So someone knocks on your door on Saturday, please don't buy it, it's a lie. Last two verses, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Thank the Lord, spotless lamb of God. Satan has no claim on Jesus. Verse 31, but I do, here's the authority part, as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. And all God's people said.